Today we're focusing attention, as the Holy Spirit has focused attention, on a problem that has existed in this nation for centuries, and one that needs to be corrected. Now, whenever we talk about correcting the problem, some folk get really up in emotion and stirred up, and they want to do something every time there's an incident, and I understand that. We have walked it out day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. In the 33 years that I have lived here, we have deliberately, intentionally, none of this happened by accident. We have created a multicultural leadership team. When pastors ask me to come to their churches and inform them as to how this church came to be so multicultural. I tell them it's because until you put people in leadership positions who actually are, are given authority to function and utilize their gifts, you're not going to make a statement to the community to which they belong. If all of your leaders are of one ethnicity, one race, um, there's actually only the human race. We'll talk a little bit about that, but to use a term that I think needs to be deleted from our vocabulary to talk about this in an effective way and build a multicultural church that represents its community. You've got to have multicultural leadership. It cannot be token leadership. It's got to be real. Can I hear somebody say amen? Amen. And so the directors, if you want to know, those are the people that hold the assets in trust, that make the decisions for uh, the responsibilities that we have assumed as a congregation that have to do with everything from, from uh, the, 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 the holding me accountable, literally. I, I task them, hold guys hold me accountable to the vision of this house and uh, to managing the, the funds of this church and, and the ministries of this church and so forth. The actual work is done by the staff that you saw across the front here. Some of them actually do a little bit of both, like Tony, for example. Tony is our administrative pastor, but he's also a board member. Brenda is the CEO, uh, uh, yes, uh, CEO of... Um, uh, CFO, sorry, of the of the corporation, while at the same time being a board member, and so forth. And so there are positions that overlap in that manner. Want you to be aware of it. Now I'm going to ask our panel to come out because instead of preaching a conventional kind of sermon today, I want a panel, and we're going to talk about some of the key topics that uh, are in the news right now. As they come, I'll point out Charles. Charles is one of our youth pastors. Next to him is uh, Victor. Everybody knows Victor. His mother, Iris, Victor, is an attorney. He's also one of our youth pastors. Uh, then moving on down, we have Penny and we have Mark Handy. And their sons are some of these incredible musicians that serve in youth ministry. They, they've got a, ooh, if you haven't heard those guys, they kill it, man. And Penny used to be a HPD officer. She worked in law enforcement. Mark is a businessman. And um, then moving to the front, this is Joel and Terry Banda. And Joel and Terry used to pastor. Joel's mother still pastors. 
they understand the cry for and the need for multicultural ministry. Moving here, we have Sister Peggy Moore Grant, and she's one of our board members and also an attorney, practicing attorney, used to be a law enforcement, uh, enforcement officer herself. And then right over here, I'll get out of the way, uh, then we have Eddie and Lamisha Ducos, and they're very active as youth pastors here in the church and are among our leadership team. Of course, Andrew, everybody knows Andrew, just uh, led the preliminaries. He is uh, the young adult pastor. And so let me tell you what I did to put all of this together because there were so many wonderful people that sit out there right now looking up here that would have been more than qualified to have been on this platform. I had a tough choice. Probably we'll do this again and I'll have others come forward. But it's deliberately multicultural because many of the Hispanics are asking with the focus that has been uh, turned on things like racial issues, who will speak for us? Can we be involved? Because people of color, whether you're Hispanic or African-American, many of you grew up with racism. I would say nearly all of you, maybe all of you have experienced some form of racial discrimination in the course of your life, some of it very severe, possibly. And um, I wanted that to be reflected, to let everybody within this church know what we're doing and see what we can do beyond this point. But then, too, I also included some of the younger elements of the church that will speak and be the leadership of the church after I'm gone and some of you are gone. Therefore, Andrew, Charles, Victor, and so forth being up here because that's the future of Inspire Church. And I want to open this up today by saying thank you guys for being willing to come and be a part. It is incredible to have you here. These are wonderful people, and if you know them, I don't even need to tell you that. This is our church family. This is what we look like. So when people ask, what is Inspire Church doing, first of all, I want to say that we didn't just get all stirred up in recent events with the killing of Aubrey, uh, the young man down in... Uh, was, Georgia, I think it was, and then what happened just the other day with George Floyd. We, did, we didn't get all stirred up just because of that. We have been, I have been passionate about this for many, many years, many years, and have deliberately worked. You say, have there been problems along the way? Yeah. Have, have some people gotten upset and chosen not to be a part of a multicultural church? Yes. Have they come to me to tell me why? Yes. They've told me why, but for the most part, for the most part, and hear me out, for the most part, the people I know, in fact, I can't think of a single person in my, my sphere of influence that is connected with me that doesn't want a multicultural church. They want to, a church that reflects the community they're in. Why? Because that's the world. It's where we live. So first of all, if you think that there are many people that are resisting this, it could very easily be true, but just not here, not in this church. They vote with their feet. If they don't like what they see, they don't come back. What you see here is where we're going. And so I want to very quickly go and say that in times of great chaos, there's also a great opportunity that exists. Rahm Emanuel famously said, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. It provides the opportunity to do things that were not possible before. However, in times of great uh, transformation and change, I think all of us 
recognize there's also an opportunity for great chaos. And with that being understood, I'm turning to the word of the Lord in Zechariah chapter 3, and we're going to discuss some key biblical principles. This panel and I will, and we don't have a whole lot of time to do it. But in Zechariah 3 1, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. As quickly as I can, I want to point out some key things to set, as it were, the historical context. Israel had been carried away into captivity because they disobeyed God. They got out from underneath God's covering. Now they were allowed to go back. Ezra and Nehemiah, both of them led groups back. And Zerubbabel was elevated to become the governor of the province of Judah. It was still under the control of uh, the, the, the king of Babylon. Well, by now it was the Medo-Persian Empire. But what happened was is that Joshua was the high priest when the temple was being rebuilt. So you have a legal system and you have a spiritual system. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel represent the legal system Joshua represents the spiritual component, the church component. He is the high priest. And the problem in today's world, and one reason that we see, I think, so much fracturing of society is because before Israel was carried away into captivity, the church got off track. I want the panel to hear me. They got off track. They stopped being the church and they started promoting a political agenda. They supported, they got involved so much in politics, frankly, and this will not sit well with everybody who is here, that they forgot who they were. And they ended up being carried away into captivity. And I want you to know that politics will never, ever have the strength to deal with moral transformation of the heart. Never. They, they can make all the laws they can. And at this point, I'd like to open this up because I personally look at the laws and ask, Sister Peggy, how could this have happened? You're an attorney. Don't we have laws that deal with this kind of thing? We do, Pastor. We have laws that deal with the type of unrest that has been caused by all of the injustices that people of color are experiencing in this country. The problem with the laws that we have on the books are they are good laws, they are needed, but laws do not change what is inside of us. That's one of the biggest problems that we have and where I think the church should step in. In Houston, Texas, uh, back in 1977, as a result of the unrest here, the Houston Police Department instituted the Internal Affairs Union, and that was after the killing of Torres, a Mexican-American that was pushed over into the Buffalo Bayou by police officers after he was arrested for a disorderly conduct offense. And out of that chaos and the riots that erupted in the city, a law was produced and procedures were produced in Houston Police Department that they go by today. And it's been very effective. I would like to discuss the role of the church and where we are. In the U.S. in 2019, Christians represented 65% of the total population of the United States. 
Now, this is down from 73.7% in 2016. 328.2 million people in the United States in 2019. That means if that's 65%, there are 213 million people who identify as Christians. That is very significant. Very. And that tells me that we as Christians, we are in large numbers, which means we have a lot of power. In the Huff Post, there was an article on September 19, 2012, on the role and importance of the church in the community. And it said that one of the basic functions of the church is to be involved in every facet of the life of the believer. Holding true to this mission, Christ looked at the needs of the people, provided it, and then began to preach out the good deeds. The church today must live up to its true billing, meeting the needs of the people. Now, in this time of civil unrest all across the country, over the killing of African-Americans by white law enforcement officers, many in the light of day, and over other systemic injustices. These killings are done while cameras are rolling without fear of any retribution from authorities, unrest, also over a flawed injustice system and systemic racism. Now, if the church would allow me, I would like to engage the church in a self-reflection exercise. This is a phrase that I picked up from Pastor Robinson, Rodney Robinson, if he would allow me to use it. When he is engaging in a teachable moment with some of the children in the Timothy Project, this is one of the phrases he used. When you know better, you do better. Jane Elliott is an American school teacher an anti-racism activist. She started anti-racism education in 1968. She is a white woman from Riceville, Iowa. Years ago, she posed a question to a large auditorium of people. I would like to ask this Christian body that question. I would like my white or Caucasian brothers and sisters to respond. And then I have a question for my brothers and sisters of color here. To my white Caucasian brothers and sisters, I would like each of you who would be happy, and this is the question that she asked this audience, those of you who would be happy to be treated the same way as this society in general treats our black citizens, please raise your hand. When she posed that question, she asked them to stand. No one stood. And no one here is raising their hands. This was her response. That says plainly, you know what's happening. You know that you, want, you do not want it for you. Why are you willing to accept it or allow it to happen to others? So many would say, I'm not allowing it. I don't accept it. But when we remain silent during all of the unrest that's happened just in our lifetime, we don't need to go back 100 years ago in our lifetime. How many have even said strategic prayers over what is going on? How many of us have actually stopped and prayed about the unrest, about Let me, uh, racism? Yeah. Let me ask that question. 
Sister Peggy. And we'll come back to your other question in a moment to give everyone a chance to talk. How many that are um, identified as Anglo have prayed over this situation? Would you raise your hands? You have prayed. Maybe better, how many have not prayed over this situation? I think everybody has. Okay, so one of the things that I want to point out in this is that sometimes whenever people begin to look to try to solve the problem, they overlook the folk that are right around them that are trying to help them and feel like we are part of the problem. And I want folk to try to understand because when we build a a church and we take a position in society, and this is a question that I'm going to ask you, Brother Joel, I'll, I'll skip over to you because you used to be a pastor. When we build a church in a society and we establish it to project certain values and we build it upon certain principles, we're making a statement every single day. may not be enough, and, and that's, what we're, that's why we're here talking today. But as a pastor, did you feel that you needed to make a statement in your community with the identity of the church that you were leading? I think that the loudest statement that we can make is through our actions. And so when we actively try to build a community and a church community that espouses the different multicolor coat, it's a coat of many colors like the Bible references. I think that's the loudest statement we can make. Um, sometimes... We also have to speak up and not be silent to the things that are going on and look at how we can improve. You know, I think that systemically there is some areas that we can probably improve on. Um, But I think that this country and the church has come a long, long way. And I want to recognize, first of all, that I think that there are many good law enforcement officers that are out there, both black, white, Asian, and from all colors. And the thing is that sometimes what is highlighted is the negative, but there's a lot of positive. And I think that this country is a beacon of light, regardless of our current flaws and where we still need to progress from. I think this is the greatest nation that represents that multicolored God vision for the world. Um, I would just say one more thing. I think this is, you know, when, when the, our foundings, there was a lot of areas that had needed and still need to improve. But I think that the documents of our foundings show us a vision of a more perfect union. But sometimes we've forgotten that it takes a continued effort to progress to that perfect union. And we get caught up in our daily lives and our daily endeavors that we sometimes, like the Levite and the priest that were there with that and Jesus asked the question, who's the good neighbor? Yeah. We tend to look away. Yeah. And so 
if there's a message that I could ever put today, and I've been praying and trying to listen and trying to be, you know, more, more, more in the position of listening to our brothers and sisters that genuinely feel, you know, that disproportion of how they've been treated is to not look away. If there's a phrase that I could coin today for us also is don't look away. Yeah. Because the priest and the Levite looked away and it was the Samaritan that paid attention. That's right. Eddie and Lamisha, I saw you raise your hand and you are raising children in today's society that are very, very gifted and talented. And, uh, uh, and uh, in terms of sports, Mark and, and Penny, uh, you guys, you're raising children that are very, very talented in terms of musical ability. And all of this, you've raised them in a church that is multicultural. Tell me a little bit, Eddie, about how you feel about what's going on. And Lamisha, if you won't please allow her to speak as well. So I think you're absolutely right, Pastor. I think that um, laws that, that are govern this country, every law that you can write up, everything that everyone can say, it's not going to change um, people. The one thing that's going to change people is love. And it's the love of Christ. And in my experience, thank you. In in my experience, whenever I was married uh, with my wife, as you can imagine, she has a very rich, rich um, black culture. Uh, Her family is from Mississippi. Um, Her mom, my mother-in-law, actually went to uh, one of the first desegregated schools in Mississippi. They used to bus black kids to to the white schools. And... um, you know, we would hear all of these stories, um, and they were amazing stories. Um, but when I first married into the family, you know, the first time she brought me home to Mississippi, as you can imagine, you know, they kind of looked at me like, you know, like, what happened? <laughs> and so I remember her uncle the first time I met him, and, and he looks at her and he says, now, why'd you have to go and marry a Mexican? <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> I'm Puerto Rican, by the way. <laughs> but either way, Mississippi, you know, you're either black, white, or Mexican. And um, so at the time, I could have um, reacted, but I chose to respond because, see, a reaction is, a, is, an, emotional, is an emotional thing. And a response is a thought-out process. Um, but it's the first time they met me. And, you know, here we are 21 years later being married together. And... Um, Thank you. And now whenever we go visit family, you know, it's not, you know, the, the Mexican guy that, that, you know, my niece married or, you know, it's, it's, I'm part of the family. And she's part of the family. And it is because over time and over love, not words, not laws, but love, spending time with people, getting to understand people, embracing being different doesn't mean it's a negative thing. Being different is a great thing. We're all different. Amen? But I know we've got 34 seconds. But just talking about raising yeah. kids, I'm, I'm sorry. L- let me ask you, yes, Lamisha, if you would uh, speak to that. How do you feel now about the issues that we're talking about? We talked about the element of love. Um, Eddie brought that up. I think that is so significant because that is, that is what is supposed to identify Christians, this is what we try to project, and it is what we try to communicate here 
And we try to create a worship environment where everybody can come and love God and they can worship God. You don't know this, but even the selection of our speakers who come here and visit us is done deliberately to reflect the different parts of the community of this church body. And not only that, the songs that we sing. We don't sing all tilted to one side or to the other. We try to include a broad cross-section. Sometimes people want us to sing more toward one style, like perhaps, perhaps black gospel. And someone else is saying, well, what we really need to do is have more contemporary uh, worship. We try to blend all of that. And um, Lamisha, how do you feel being in a multicultural environment here? And what do you think we could do to improve it as a church? Pastor, I'm so thankful uh, for our church. Uh, when we came here, uh, my son was two weeks old. Edwin, who's graduating this year, he was two weeks old. And when we walked into this place, we saw what we wanted. We were, you were intentional, and we were intentional on how we wanted to raise our children. Our children were raised, um, and now their best friends, their pastors, their mentors, their coaches, all are black, white, and Spanish, and they don't know a difference. They they are so blessed and. They have that, that, that blessing to not know the divide. And so we were intentional as well. When we moved here, we didn't want our, our children to go to an all-black school or all-Spanish school or all-white school. We wanted them to be rich in their culture, to be rich in multicultural uh, dynamics. And that's what the church showed us. And that love, and I can only say what my husband is saying again, uh, because we saw that love rich in culture when we came to Christian Tabernacle, now Inspired Church, and we were embraced by all people, all ethnic groups. And so I think um, when you ask what can we do to be better is to be intentional. I have been intentional even in, in the light of these last few um, you know, what has gone on, being intentional on even what I say on social media buff. I love to be on Facebook. I love to, you know, promote my kids and talk about what's going on. But I've been very intentional on the things that I have had to say because even as a black female, um, I intentionally, and this is just who I am, this is who I've always been my the majority of my adult life, I've been in this church, and th these are the principles and the values that have been instilled in us. And this is what we walk out every day. So if you see me on social media, you're going to see exactly who I am. I love all people. We love all people, and we promote all people. And that's what it's going to take, being intentional. I love that. Amen. Yes. Very quickly. When, when we first, we were very intentional how we wanted to raise our kids multicultural. And when we first came to Houston, now I don't have any immediate family here. We only had uh, my wife's immediate family. And so our black culture was covered, which is awesome. Where we found the rest of our culture was here at the church. It's wonderful. Our family here at the church, all of our friends that are white, that are Hispanic, that are Asian, that are Indian, we met them all here at Christian Tabernacle. Inspired Church, I'm sorry. Yeah. Inspired Church. Thank you. This is where we met. Amen. Uh, I appreciate that so much. I want to go to Mark and Penny. And Penny, you were a uh, law enforcement officer, so I'm going to have you speak first. From the perspective of raising your children, who are, as I mentioned, extremely gifted and talented, and 
um, their, their, their culture, their, their, their ability to play, their, their, their talent has just blossomed here. They've been such an incredible blessing. But from the perspective of being a law enforcement officer, HVD yourself, um, first of all, I'm going to ask you, did you see examples in our city of uh, racial abuse on the part of law enforcement officers? Did you see that? I, I, did I see abuse as far as racial tiches? Well, when I, when I came onto the department, they were really integrating uh, back at that time. So y you did get in a corner of the good old boys. There were people there, but I I'm just going to be blunt. As working the streets, and I saw all I did was work the streets, and working with mainly people of color, my perspective is a little different because I did see officers of color inflicting upon citizens of color harm that maybe shouldn't have been done. So what I learned as being a police officer, the dividing factor for me in which I could see it on the streets was people who had a heart of love. People who serve Christ, whether they were an officer or not, because it made a difference. You know, and even me being on the streets made a difference because I was on a mission for Christ. Did I see it? It was there, yes. But it really is the heart. And so this is what we focus on is the heart. Wow. And I even, I love what uh, the Duco said in, it's, it's love, and people don't understand that, but it is. And we choose not to be offended. We went to a church, Mark and I, and we gave a great lesson on offense. And when people are offended, usually they're offended, and they don't, they're not even attempting to, somebody who offended them wasn't even attempting to offend them, but yet they perceived it the wrong way. Let, let, let me speak to that, because now back to our text. And it says this, it said, he showed me Joshua. This is, represents the church, remember, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. When standing in Ezra and Nehemiah's right hand, standing at the right hand of the priest. Because you can have all the laws in the world, but if you don't have the heart of love for your fellow human being, then laws on the books don't change anything. And Penny, I appreciate that perspective because um, she's talking about people that are being in positions of authority and using that authority to hurt others when they ought to be showing respect. And that was because they had a heart issue. They had a heart issue. And the church has got, in my opinion, Mark, has got to learn to... To, to walk this out day by day. We can't just say things. We have to live them every single day. And if I am going to connect with you, I'm honored that these folk call me dad. Because as a pastor here, I, I'm a pastor. You could say, you could call me bishop. You could call me Dr. Hurd. I've got a lot of different titles. You know the one that I love the most? You've heard me say this before is when people call me dad. That couple right there calls me dad. And you can look and see I'm not his physical father. That's not what he's talking about. I'm, 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 he, he respects me as a spiritual father. Do you know how much that means to me? Do you know how impacting that is to me personally? To be able to earn the respect of someone else. And do you also realize that 
I value and cherish, cherish that so highly that I would rather die than do anything to cause offense and make someone lose that respect that they have. Or if any of you lose the respect that you have for me. I realize that when you see me, I represent leadership in this church. Mark, just quickly, talk to us about raising your children in a, a multicultural environment. I'm talking about outside of this church and then within this church. And how do you do that and navigate some of these landmines so that your, your children do not become harmed by what is happening out there? Uh, how, do, how do you do that as a dad? Well, we are four boys. And um, long ago, we used to teach children Bible school and so forth. And there were other adults there, and they would try to teach life situations. And there's too many variations to give a child a life situation. If this happened, you do this. If you this, this happened, you do this. Our goal is uh, we teach them biblical principles. You set a foundation, and that's the... That's the bucket they have to pull from. Well, wait, wait just a minute. That is so impacting. I want to be sure everyone heard that. What do you do again? I teach them biblical principles because that's the bucket they have to pull from to make their decisions. Wow. Now, now there you go right there, folks. That says it so well. Biblical principles. Amen. And more continue. So... Uh, we, we don't spend a lot of time on scenarios. We do teach them law. So you do have to understand the worldly law, but you got to understand the biblical principles. And most of our worldly laws have been pulled from the Bible. Uh, but for the foremost, uh, is, is I want them to be the good Samaritan. I want them to help someone. I want them to pull out their pocket and, and pay. I, and they see us do that. We, did, we demonstrate I showed them what we pay in tithes. I showed them when I buy them things, what we pay for. So they understand finances and money. Um, we, we incorporate everything we do. We share it with them so they see and understand. Uh, we talk to them daily outside of just saying, I love you. Um, I grew up around, yeah, I tell my children I love them every day. But do you talk to them? Do you spend time with them? Do you ask them questions? Uh, when they're avoiding you, do you go over there and sit next to them to see what they're doing while they're avoiding you? Uh, <laughs> are you in their face? Um, do you have that relationship? Uh, I, I don't, I, what, he just turned, he's turning 15. And we don't have, you know, oh, we hear the stories, oh, they turn 15, they turn this and that. You have all, we, we're not have that. We still have that friendship. We still have that relationship. And we still have that understanding as well. Uh, but... I'm not really concerned about what the world is going to do and what the world has out there. I, I, don't, I don't think about that. I just think about, man, when you deal with this, this is what the Bible says and this is what you should do. That is so you know? powerful, ladies and gentlemen and brothers and sisters, biblical principles. I want to jump over here right now to Charles. Charles, you're a part of a multicultural church staff. You represent the generation of leadership, as does Andrew and Victor, who are going to be leading this church after some of us are no longer around. And I want you to talk to us briefly about your experience, both outside of these walls and within these walls, and tell us what you, can, what you think we can do to help improve circumstances. Cool. Um, so I think my upbringing was a little bit different. Um, Whenever I was growing up, 
I grew up in Third Ward. Um, I grew up in uh, low-income housing. And um, I had both parents in the house, but my dad had to work several jobs. So my experiences are, um, you know, it's... Ah. So my, um, one of the biggest questions that I used to always get from my parents, my aunt, my uncle, was how many black teachers do you have? And I would always wonder, why would you ask? You know, like, why does it matter? Now, this is me being young and not knowing anything. So when I'm asked this question, I just go ahead and tell them, you know, because you don't backtalk your parents or anything like that because you get a whooping. Um, <laughs> so, so I go ahead and um, I tell them. And years later, I asked my cousin, whose his name is Stephen, and I asked Stephen, I was like, well, why does auntie and uncle, why did my mom and dad ask me that question? And he explained it to me like this. He says that they had to grow up during a time where black people had to depend on one another. I'm reminded of my grandmother. She passed away in 2005, but she passed away in 93. She saw the depression. She saw the Harlem Renaissance. She saw the Civil Rights March. She saw whenever schools begin to integrate in. My aunts and my uncles are in their 70s and 80s now. They always tell me, know your history, learn your history, because those who neglect to remember history are destined to repeat it. Yeah. So whenever, um, whenever I grow up and I begin to have experiences with other races and everything like that, I, I immediately realize why they would ask me that, because there is a level of dependency that that community has with one another. But to go back to the point that um, Eddie, Lamisha, and Mark and, Han and, Mark and uh, Penny made, um, whenever your foundation is God, right, because before I'm black, before I'm white, before I'm Hispanic, before I'm Asian, I'm a son of God. So, Amen. That is so well said. So, so whenever we, um, whenever we start with something, we start with God, right? Now that's not neglecting everything else that happens, right? Because the people who threw bricks and stones at Dr. King, they had kids, they taught their kids. Those kids had kids. They taught their kids. Those kids now are 26, 27, which is my age, right? So right now, I, I, we, we see like the, they, um, they call it, you know, the, the generational curse, I believe. And that's what I believe racism is initially. Um, as a church, I believe that, one, we continue to do what we've been doing and continue to make this inclusive and integrate, um, but at the same time being sensitive to the issues that we have, right? And being the face, being in the, at the forefront of these, be at the marches, right? The peaceful ones, be at the marches, be, you know what I'm saying? Take positions in, in city council and everything. Because when you have a Christian that's in politics, whose foundation is God, then you can truly change things spiritually and not, yes. from, a, Amen. not from a political yes. mindset. Yes, very good, Charles. I want to go to you, Andrew, because you too represent uh, part of the future of this church in terms of its leadership, you're engaged as one of the pastors now. But uh, you folk probably realize it, but uh, Andrew, being my grandson, we have a rather unique relationship in that it's kind of a Eli Samuel uh, kind of uh, relationship in that uh, I, when we moved here, Jerry and I bought a big home, and, and so the kids were needed to go to university. They were still teenagers. And I told them, uh, there's a part of the house that is separate. You guys can have your own apartment there. And uh, just raise your kids here, finish your university, and then do what you need to do. 
Well, Andrew was born in that environment. And uh, later when his mom and dad moved out, of course, he moved out with them. And then one day he announced to his mom and dad, I'm moving back to live with Papa and Nana. And uh, that, that was his decision. They said, okay, that may seem kind of strange. I look back on it and it does. But now I realize that it was a Eli Samuel mentoring kind of thing that God was actually in. Hannah brought her son and gave him and said, here, he's to be raised in the house of God. I had the opportunity to mentor Andrew. But, and so I saw how he was raised. But I want to ask this question. And I, because you just have a baby daughter that's going to be a year old next month. You're raising children in this environment. First of all, uh, how do you feel about having been raised in a multicultural context? Uh, tell us about your childhood briefly and who your friends were and what you expect to see in terms of your daughter. First, first of all, I feel like uh, I owe this church a big thank you. I really do. Because people, you know, I've spent my whole life in one church. And that's actually rare. Like, I've noticed that when I talk to a lot of my friends or people, I've spent my whole life in one church. And they always ask me, what are, you know... What do you love about your church? And there's so much I could say. Like, obviously, you know, I think we have the best, the best worshipers. We have the best preachers. We have the best pastors, right? A trained in right. <laughs> but uh, I say this with sincerity. I, I always tell them I, the, one of the greatest blessings was that I was raised in a multicultural church. Because it gave me the gift of exposure. Right. Meaning, I think a lot of people's problems, um, you know, we talk about love is the answer. A lot of people don't expose themselves enough to other cultures and ethnicities to even allow that to develop. Does that make sense? Yeah. From the day I was born, I felt like I was in a melting pot. And um, I'm truly thankful for that because growing up, you know, a lot of people try to use this term these days. They say, oh, I don't see color. I'm colorblind. That's not the right perspective. I didn't grow up colorblind. I, we saw each other's color. We honored and loved each other, but we got to know each other. And I'm so thankful that I was raised in this church because it instilled that in me to the point where growing up, you know, all of, <laughs> I was the minority in this church, seriously. And, and all of my friends, most of them, my best friend's Tyler, but m- most of my other friends were Hispanic and black. And we saw each other's color. We just didn't care. Does that make sense? Like we cared about each other. Like we didn't pretend not to see. We just, we loved each other because, because we were in this environment. We were, we were, uh, the word is not trained, but we were given the opportunity to get to know each other. And so I'm so thankful for that, seriously. And now that I'm raising my daughter, um, I'm excited for her because I want her to have the same upbringing that I had. Uh, I want her to not be colorblind, but to see people and value them for who they are, but, but to also have all of that exposure. I think life is boring if you're just around people that look just like you. Like, like I, my childhood was so much fun, and I'll, just t- I'll say this last thing and I'm done. Literally every year, the highlight of my year <laughs> was when we would do the missions conference. How many of y'all remember those missions conferences? Yeah. And I couldn't wait for the missions conference, and I made him by bring me back some African robes because it was the one time a year I could put on those robes and I loved it because it was just to me it was just so exciting being around 
I felt like our church was a church of nations, and I love that. And I'm so thankful for Amen. that. Amen. Thank God. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask a question that we did not rehearse. And I want you to see what our heart is. Did you ever one time here in our home anyone disparage race? Not one time. Okay. We refuse to do that. I would like for all of us to make a commitment today that the word race will be no longer used in the context that it has been used in previously. That I just used it just then. And I used it then just so you'll understand what we, I, I'm trying to communicate. There's only one race that is the human race. That's all there is. One human race. Everything else is ethnicities. The Bible says that God is made of all nations one blood. Of one blood. He's made of all nations. Meaning ethnicities. We all came from the same blood. And that means if you have an accident, God forbid, and you need a blood transfusion, they don't go look and see, okay, you're half Hispanic, you're... You're, you're part Puerto Rican, you're part African American or whatever. Let's see, can we find some blood on our shelves that's part Hispanic, part Puerto? They don't do that. They just get, what's your blood type, you know? And that's what they use. I want to go to Victor and Iris right now, quickly. Victor is an attorney and does, has, um, just has been an incredible leader in our youth group. And so is Iris, his mom. She may look like his sister, but that's actually his mother. Amen. And incredible people of God, just incredible people of God. Victor, um, working as an attorney, uh, I want your perspective. Can laws alone change what is happening right now? No, I don't believe so. I think a great example is Moses. Um, when he goes to the mountaintop, when you talk about legislation and getting, having an, a legislative branch produce laws, Moses approached God and got the greatest laws the earth has ever seen. And when he comes down, we see the effect that really people continued, even the perfect law of God, they continued to break it. At the end of the day, he told the people in Jeremiah, he said, okay, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to write my law on your hearts. heart. There you go. And that's, I think that's the significant part yes. that we, we as the body of Christ, we know that, but the world, they're still looking for the perfect laws. And the thing is, we do see progression. We do see improvement in the world around us when the laws change. None of us can look at that with and refuse and deny the reality that our world does operate under laws. But when it comes to a perfect society, if we're going to ever achieve more social justice to the point where we all want it, and that is where it's eradicated, where social injustice no longer exists, that's going to be an issue of the heart. It will not, it will not be able to be fully mandated from, a, from any legislative branch. And again, I just refer back to what Moses did. And so when, and, and with the Lord then now has to put it on our hearts. But it's interesting. We've been talking about love and the way we, in my opinion, fulfill, Jesus said, if you, if you love, Paul said, if you love, you fulfill all the law. And so really that is the bedrock of what, where the Lord wants to take us is to be in a position where we love one another. But I think sometimes we might even misunderstand what we mean when we say love one another, because I love my dog. I love my cat. I love, yeah. I love my shirt. I love my, I love McDonald's. Can I get any? 
And I love, I love, I love, I love. And then I love you, God. And it's like, well, what do you, what do you mean, love your neighbor? And the, the, I think the best way we can describe it is when he said, okay, let me make it real plain. He said, love your neighbor like I've loved you. So the reference point is Christ to you. And so when we talk about family values and teaching it in the home, essentially what we're saying is if we preach the gospel to our kids and we tell our kids, for God so loved the world that he, he gave his son and he died for you and he bled for you and he bore your burdens, bore your griefs, bore your sicknesses. And not only that, Paul said, scarcely will someone die for a righteous man, but God died for you when we were yet sinners. When we preach that kind of love to our children, that the love of God is that reckless and, we, and when that's what we embrace, it's very difficult to, to look at someone with indifference. It's very difficult to look at someone with any kind of hatred when you know that's the standard God has called you to. Amen. Uh, look, we're going to run out of time here. Would you, uh, can I do like our friend Bishop Tudor Bismarck, give me two more minutes, you know, give us a few more minutes. I want Iris to talk about how she raised a son, two sons actually, that are both just incredible and um, uh, the other son is in the U.S. military and serves our nation and serves all of us here and uh, just is doing a great job. Um, she raised her children in this in environment. I remember when they first came to this church. Iris, tell us how you raised children to be as successful as your sons have been in a world that has been so fractured and divided. And I think I'm going to get to that in a moment, Pastor, but I, I want to say something also. I want to add this. You said something a minute ago. You said that it touches your heart deeply that we call you dad. That that means more to you than we will ever know. We love it when you call us son and daughter. It means the world to me when you Thank say you. daughter. We're talking about family and love, and, but we are family. That's who we are. For all those watching, for all those out here today, we are a family. When we came here in the 80s, my mom and I, my father passed away, and you and your wife, Pastor Jerry, my mother in the faith now, my spiritual mother, you're our spiritual father. You took what you did for the widow at that time. We will always be grateful. What you've done for my children, you've taken them on as your children. What the pastors here at this church have done for us we're not just someone distant that they know and that they see on a Sunday. When my mother passed in 2018, we were all family grieving there for her. All of you were with us at the hospital. All of you were with us. I mean, you were praying with us. You were, you're walking with us daily on our journey. Not just, you don't just see us on Sunday. I, I appreciate what she's saying so very much. 
And we're going to actually want to close on some of those points. We have not heard from Terry Banda yet. And she was a pastor's wife. Now, uh, you don't know this, but both uh, Terry and Joel are active in a business that they use as a ministry and means of funding a ministry, uh, a marketplace ministry. Terry, um, I want to I come to you and then we're going to close with some points because the theme that seems to be resonating over and over here is that if hearts are not changed, nothing really is changed. Talk to us. I also want to get back to Sister Peggy. I think you had one more thing that you wanted to, one more question that you wanted to ask, if I'm not mistaken. We're just kind of making sure everyone got heard. But Terry, tell me what your perspective on this is as a Latina woman and uh, a, a pastor's wife. Um, I had a brother that had a lot of problems with the law, with everything. We went to church. All the family was saved except him. And I remember my mother getting up at 12 o'clock until 3 o'clock in the morning praying for my brother. Praying. She never told me to open the Bible. She never told me to pray. But I saw how she prayed. And she said, God, this is my son. The devil is not going to have my son change his heart because I cannot. I, I'm speaking today to the woman, to every lady. We need to go back to those times where you can kneel down and have a serious talk to your God. Yes. That your actions are known in heaven and are manifested on earth. The praying wives, the praying woman are the warriors that we need to wake up in this generation. I saw my mother, and I want to one day win many battles in my knees. And I believe that's how we can start bringing a restoration on people's heart. Because the Holy Spirit is still the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God comes to Him. We're wrapping this up. And there are several things that I want to talk about just briefly and uh, just point them out that I think I can extrapolate and draw from some of the comments that have already been made. But first of all, to Sister Terry's point, prayer is not an ineffective weapon. Out of every weapon we have in our arsenal, it is the most single, singly singularly powerful weapon that we have at our disposal. Prayer is powerful. People say, what are you going to do in addition to prayer? And I want to say, we're going to pray and then the other stuff we'll add on. But prayer is where you change principalities and bring them to their knees. It's where you challenge. Joshua standing there. Satan is standing to oppose him. All of the laws in the world are not going to deal with a Satan guy that's standing right there. The devil. You know, we have to deal with him with the, the spiritual weapons that are at our disposal. And what I'm trying to say is that a church is a very powerful voice in a community. Amen. We have incredible, incredible power. And when we pray together and worship together and then also live life together. Because what 
if you've noticed what every one of these have said, they talked about being in a multicultural environment, raising their family. And we, it, change has to start in the home. It's got to start in the home. You can't use racist, racist language in your home. You can't. Rather, you're African-American, white, Anglo, you know, Hispanic, Native American, First Nation, however we want to be identified in terms of our ethnicity. You cannot use racist language in your home. As a child of God, it offends your maker. Can I say that again? As a child of God, you need to know that it's offensive to your creator. It is divisive. And your children will grow up reflecting those kind of negative values. Before we leave, Sister Peggy, we, we've only got a couple of minutes. Left. We're, we're actually way over. But I want to give you the, ch the opportunity to go ahead and finish that last point. You, were, you said you had one more question you were going to ask of your African-American brothers and sisters. Very briefly, Pastor. I want to say to you all that church is our safe place. It's my safe place. We all do live out in the real world. And to my brothers and sisters of color, my question to you is what are you doing as well, individually and collectively? God has given all of us different gifts and talents to use, and we cannot become complacent and sit back and come to church on Sunday and feel good about where we are and not take into consideration what is going on around us. James in chapter 2 says, he's talking about prayer and faith. And without works, he says it is dead. This is one of my favorite scriptures in, in James. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. I would like for us to be able to have the tools that we need, become aware of what is going on around us. We do not live in a bubble. Some of us just have not enlightened ourselves to what is happening to our brothers and sisters all across the United States. I would like to suggest to you an article written in the Smithsonian Magazine. You can pull it up on, on your cell phone, Smith, Smith, the smithsonianmag.com. There's an article on the history of racism, systemic inequality. It is extensive. It will give you a lot of information that you may not be aware of and we all live and view life through different lens. And I, I highly recommend that we read this article and put into practice our gifts and our talents and learn to pray for each other. Amen. Amen. I think all of us agree. And I would recommend that we do that. Pull that article up. If you are not a person of color, pull that article up. I think it would be a blessing to you to know what's going on in our world. Let me extrapolate from the conversation and see if our panel agrees with this. And, 
And if you're watching this today, or even our members who are here, by no means is our panel discussion perfect. I'm not Phil Donahue. I'm not Oprah Winfrey, uh, Jerry Springer, or anybody else. You know, I'm a pastor. I normally preach and I lead, okay? So if we haven't covered everything you wanted us to cover, forgive us. Just that we're doing the best we can. What I want you to know, though, is so many people don't realize that by coming to worship together, you are making a statement. Have you seen the long-term effect of people raising their families in a church that is multicultural, like Eddie and Lamisha, and like Mark and Penny, and like Iris, and like Charles telling about his experience being here uh, from his formative early years, and Andrew... It's had a profound impact on them. They don't view the world the same way someone that's older does because they were raised in an environment that is loving here. We need to also stretch ourselves and get out of our own personal sphere. Live life together with other people from different kind of ethnic backgrounds. Include them in your circle of experience. And and that's important. We have small groups here, and you don't know this, but I challenge every one of our pastors, if you ever hear it, then now you'll know why I do it. I say, make certain that your ministry is reflective of what this church stands for. Don't run an all-Anglo ministry or an all-African-American ministry in the middle of a community of believers. Make sure everybody is included so that they can be loved. And that people will feel at home. And then serve in ministries. If you're not serving, Sister Peggy said it a while ago. Serve in ministries. Put your talents and gifts to work in a ministry that is multicultural. But all of this is going to require something. It's going to require that everybody continue to stretch. Now, I'm not saying that this Sunday is going to fix everything. It's not. We're going to walk out of here today, and if you think that we're going to leave here and America is going to be different when you wake up tomorrow morning, it is not. It's going to be the same America. But we want to let you know what we as a body of believers are trying to do. So stretch yourself. Try to understand each other. Someone else said this earlier. Did you hear them say it? Don't carry a spirit of offense. If you're going to be offended about every little thing, I promise you, you're going to have a lot of stuff to be offended about. You will. But if you can be big enough spiritually to overlook that and love people, as you start coming together to live life with people of different ethnicities, how many of you know that when you come together, it's also going to create some friction? It will. There will be things that people do different from one culture to another. People may make a statement that they don't mean to be offensive, but they don't know it is offensive. And so one of our representatives for this area recently got into a deal when he was campaigning, and and, uh, that's Dan Crenshaw. uh, That's the representative that has the patch over his eye. He lost it as a SEAL team member in, uh, I think, was it Fallujah or Ramadi? One of those two in in Iran. Uh, I'm sorry, Iraq. But uh, someone made a statement about his patch and so forth. It was very offensive, and everybody expected him to retaliate, and he didn't. And instead, what he said was, I choose not to be offended, and I also choose to try to not give offense. Isn't that a pretty good way for everybody to live? Isn't that the spirit of the Bible? And 
then if you do see someone that acts in a manner that is egregious, there's a word in the Bible that you don't hear a whole lot in politics, and that is forgive. Forgive. Ezra and Nehemiah were tasked with the legal responsibility of building, rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and the temple. But it was Joshua who had the spiritual authority to deal with the devil that was standing right there to oppose what God was doing. Church, we have authority nobody else has. Let's put it to use. Let's pray. Let's worship together. Let's love God together. Let's be a force that's powerful in the city of Houston. Amen. I hope this has been helpful to you. I don't know if you've been able to appreciate everything that we've done here today because I haven't preached a conventional kind of sermon. But all I can tell you is I love you bigger than the sky. That's what I used to tell my kids when they were small. Amen. And it's good to be a part of a church that loves each other. Would you stand with me right now? While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here today and you need Christ in your life, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need God. I need God. There are hands raised. Secondly, if you are a believer and you're facing crisis in your life, would you raise your hand? We want to pray for you right now. There are people that need a touch of God. Hands are raised. You need healing. You need a miracle. I think of Pastor Dan Zarate right now, who is literally at the point of death unless God does something for him. He has suffered a massive stroke, and we're praying for him. We need miracles, but we serve a God who knows how to create and give us miracles and make a way where there is no way. Father, I pray right now for every hand that was raised and for those who might be watching this today. I pray for that if, first of all, if there's someone who doesn't know the Lord, that they would open their hearts to you and that you would save them right now and come into their heart and be their Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will forgive of sin that you will cover sin by the blood of Jesus and we believe today that you're doing that we believe that you lived and died and rose again having conquered death, hell and the grave and that you're our savior and Lord for everyone that believes that today I declare that they have now begun their journey as a member of the family of God and if you just did that go on and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins in the precious name of Jesus Don't stop there. Go on and be filled full of the power of the Holy Spirit that you may live the empowered life of a child of God. You need God's power. In the text, if you go on to read the very next chapter, that is where God says, he says this to Joshua, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You need God's spirit. We need God's spirit to deal with forces that are present in our world right now. Only God can change hearts. And church, that's our mission. And so if you've been watching as well, and uh, you've given your heart to the Lord, join a Bible-believing church. We'd love to have you be a member of Inspire Church and uh, become a part of this church family or a church somewhere and begin to learn about God. Now, 
as we get ready to close, I want to thank you so much if you've joined us for this special, special premiere uh, that is being shown uh, this Sunday evening. And to our church family, thank you so much for allowing us to discuss very sensitive issues. And I pray for you right now. And I want us all to pray against the spirit of racism and injustice that has existed in this nation. Listen, we're not going to get anywhere yelling at each other. We're not berating each other. What can be done is that we can love one another. That is what will change things. Love one another. Jesus said, herein shall men know that you are my disciples and that you have love one to another. Love is an action word. Let's stop making it a noun. Let's make it a verb. Let's love each other. Before you leave today, just look across the aisle since we're still social distancing. And I want you to tell somebody of a different ethnicity, I love you in Jesus' name. Would you do that? I love you, my brother. I love you, my sister. You're my family. I got your back. Amen. Amen. I'm praying for God to open heaven over your life. I love you so much. God bless you in Jesus' name. We're